the functions that make up work are changing. They've always been changing, but they're changing faster than they ever have. And companies' failure to invest in technology as an infrastructure, I, I find myself saying infrastructure a lot more than ever when I talk to C-level executives. I say, if you want to go from here to here, do you have the foundation to do it? Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, man, I'm doing great. How are you? I am fantastic. Wow, good. <laughs> and you added a few more, few more syllables in there. Yeah, I was just, I was just uh, improving on, on, nah, there you go. on the fantastic. Uh, I have a question for you. Sure. Thinking back to when you were a kid, what was your favorite game? Hmm. What was my favorite game? You know, I was a big Super Mario fan. Um, I was also a big Sonic the Hedgehog fan. Okay. Um, and then uh, some classic OG board games. I was a big Scrabble fan. Nice. Nice. What about you? <laughs> um for video games, uh, Asteroids, mm. this may show a little difference in our age. <laughs> uh, asteroids and and honestly, any driving game, uh, mm. like Grand Prix and Pole Position. I love the the driving games. Those are those are some of my favorites. Um, and then you know, for board games, I didn't get into Scrabble until I got married. Uh, my wife Linda is like a Scrabble champion, so mm. she taught me a lot, and I did beat her one game. Wow! Um, but yeah, yeah. But I also like if it doesn't get too um, competitive, I do like Monopoly as well. Ah, uh, but yes, I, I I have always enjoyed Monopoly, but it's just so long. It, it is long. Yeah. And, I don't have the patience and, for Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> and when you get the super, super competitive people, you know, it, it can it can have a detrimental effect on the game. I'll just say that. Um, yeah. yeah. Or if yeah. you have a banker who's just stealing cash, then that too. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> um, but do you have any idea why I asked you about your favorite game? I have no idea. Tell me why you asked. Okay. Well, before I tell you, I want to ask you another question. Did you learn anything while you were playing these games? Well, let's see. I learned how to save a princess from a castle. Uh, learned how to beat uh, Mr. Robotnik, Dr. Robotnik. I can't remember the villain's name in, in Sonic the Hedgehog. I Yeah, I think that, that there's general skills kind of as you... So like from the video game standpoint, like you usually don't beat a level on the first try. So mm -hmm. you kind of figure out and you go through the struggle a little bit to beat it. And every time you lose, every time your character dies, your player dies, you know, you say, all right, I, I think I know how to get it next time. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. And then you keep trying. And eventually you do sort of work up those muscles to be able to, to then learn what you need to do to beat that level. 
Well, I think you just described sort of the impetus of our our guest's company, which is One Huddle, and our guest is Sam Cayucci, who's the founder and CEO. And in this amazing interview, we get to talk a lot about training. We both nerd out a little bit on the concept of training, but his company um, and his philosophy is really about using games and making things you know, really where that, where that team member is and not to completely replace, you know, more traditional uh, learning methods or teaching methods, but really as a combination and using tech sort of as infrastructure to support a lot of other training that organizations do. Yeah, absolutely. And the way that he walks through kind of using games as the vehicle for learning, he talks about the struggle, he talks about the entanglement, talks about the predictability of it, that you should be playing these games and taking these these trivia-based quizzes even before the learning happens, even before the training, because all of the science that went into One Huddle is about really helping to retain that information and very much making it stick. Absolutely. And, you know, you think about those games that we talked about, right? Those are games that we want to play over and over again. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to play Asteroids all day long. I want to play those those driving games so often. And when you think about how we often approach a workforce, you know, it's about, you know, here's the standard. Here's what you're supposed to do. If you don't do it, you know, we'll slap your hand. Um, but it really uses the positive reinforcement approach and, you know, some healthy competition to get people really engaged. And I really liked what he said, too, about how this can be a great tool for leaders to find opportunities, additional opportunities to coach their team. So it's not about separating uh, the the leadership and the tech. It's about really bringing them together with the power of unity, as Sam likes to say. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say uh, let's get straight to this interview with Sam Cayucci. Hey, Sam, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really excited about our conversation today. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Matt. Absolutely. I So Sam, to kick this off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as tell us about One Huddle? Sure. Uh, you know, One Huddle is a technology startup. We're about five years old. I still use the term startup because I think it's fun uh, to say. I don't know when we officially stop becoming a startup, but uh, you know I'm going to keep saying it. We we turn uh, workforce training into mobile games is sort of the core idea at One Huddle. So anything you need to know to perform at work, whether it's day one onboarding uh, or day 365 continuous development, uh, you can do it all on One Huddle through our uh, quick burst uh, game platform and. Yeah, we've been having a lot of fun. It's obviously workforce training, development. Um, lifting workers up is a very important topic in, right now. And we're excited and having a lot of fun with what we're doing. So, Sam, can you kind of take us back and, and, and let us know kind of how this came about, right? Where, where did the idea come from this and uh, kind of what's your, what's your background to lead to this? Sure. I, you know, I'm from South Florida. I moved to New Jersey for the weather. Uh, and our offices now are based in based in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. Uh, I my my career started in the sports industry. Actually, had uh, signed to play football at the University of Alabama. Right about after that, I uh, had to kind of get to work right away. And when I did, I had the opportunity to uh, work in sales and business development for a early stage sports training and performance company. So think. 
NFL draft for any sports fans out there. You know, if, if you're a pro athlete rising out of college, preparing for the NFL combine or a major league baseball player in the off season, you have to stay game ready year round. And we had a training facility in South Florida that did everything from speed and agility to uh, nutrition, to physical therapy, to skill development. And we had six strength coaches that had more letters after the name than you could imagine, really sharp, knew what they were doing. And I had the responsibility of marketing our programs and selling to sports agents and pro athletes. So um, I got my background, my, my upbringing. I spent about a decade in the sports industry doing that. I worked in uh, you know, Miami. I moved to the Northeast uh, to work with uh, the same type of business concept in the franchising industry. And went from kind of a single location concept to doing this for a uh, hundred sports performance franchises all over the globe with a company called the Parisi Speed School. And it was sort of there, guys, that I started to realize as I was traveling to all of these different small businesses that sales uh, development, employee training was a real challenge. And the way that organizations were tackling it was kind of like putting you back in the classroom. It was manuals. It was e-learning videos. It was, you know, PowerPoint. It was te tests and pop quizzes. And I didn't think I, it wasn't so much. I had a, I disagreed with the medium is it just, it felt like it wasn't effective. It felt like it was getting harder and harder to get a new hire out of college skilled up to be customer facing delivering on service standards, selling or talking and negotiating with a customer. And I share that background because when I started One Huddle, you know, my idea wasn't too far removed from what we were doing as strength coaches. It was just how do we make an employee respond to a customer just a tenth of a second faster? How do we help them perform at the level they uh, they need to, and the brand wants them to, and get them there as quickly and safely as possible. So, you know, I came from the sports fitness world. I'm now doing, you know, kind of workforce development, but it's there's a lot of parallels to, um, you know, to what, what I was doing in both roles. And just curious about the name One Huddle. Did that come from from the sports side? I guess kind of when you think huddle, you think football. Is is there a connection there? <laughs> you know, one of the things I learned, you know, we weren't One Huddle when we started. The company was called Sales Huddle. You know, we still had the term huddle. The idea was around, you know, when you come together and you challenge each other, you get better. So the idea of a huddle, I think, is really powerful. It's obviously known in business circles. It's known in sports. You know, but we we changed about two years into what we were doing. We were we started the company in the Bay Area, like any you know good young tech company. You know, we did our tour of duty <laughs> of sorts. And then when we came back to New York, I landed in Newark and when we landed in Newark. We started to see the way our product was being used inside of organizations. And one of the shocking things was that individuals that were getting access to what we were doing were predominantly the people in the company that get access to everything. It was senior leadership. It was management. It was young people that already had a four-year degree. And one of the things we, think there's tremendous opportunity for especially in the traction space and entertainment hospitality is you know these are environments with heavy frontline workforces where people have to get skilled up quickly um, information changes rapidly 
It doesn't make any sense that we don't give the same learning opportunity to the front line. And we saw that again on the ground, being in Newark, you know, a great American city that is fighting back and fighting through all types of stuff post post recession, post pandemic. And we said uh, shifting from sales huddle to one huddle was all about the power of unity. It was about the power of the number one. You know, there's no other number that it, it, in one hand can mean, um, you know, competing to be the best. And in the other hand, uh, mean, you, you know, being together. So that was the, 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 the mindset behind the shift to the number one huddle. And we talk a lot at one huddle about an organization being only as strong as every worker. So Sam, if, if I could dive into kind of some training nerd stuff, um, can we talk a little bit about how the, how the platform works? So is this your content? Is the, is it the content of the, the organization? You know, who's putting together, I guess the, the quizzes or the, the, the flow of the information. So could you kind of walk us through that piece as well? Sure. Yeah. We think that one of the things I learned being a manager and being you know, in a position to train and develop people was that the content's always changing. And what you do on day one may be your standard deck and presentation, but especially in a entertainment or a hospitality environment or a retail environment, 365 days a year, one of our clients is Madison Square Garden. There, that is a different venue, literally 300 in, I don't know, maybe 30 of those days, maybe even more than that. Every night, it's either, it's a different singer, it's a different uh, sporting event. It's a different attraction. And uh, so that using that as the backdrop to why we built the product the way we did, we said we wanted to build something that could change really rapidly, which means that uh, the problem we saw today inside of most organizations is that the person that is uh, the only person allowed to change, edit, modify, create, buy content is usually this person in the training role or learning and development, or operations. And you know what? I love them. We work with them. But there's only a few of them. <laughs> might be only one of them. And we, you, know, you, you think about the U.S. workforce. We had 165 million U.S. workers. There's only 35,000 people in learning and development. So, I mean, I think there's a heck of a lot more opportunity to tap in to the best practices that our frontline workers see every day when they interact and engage and greet guests and answer questions and deliver service. So the, the answer to your question, Matt, is that games can be built two different ways on one huddle. It can be built bottom up, kind of crowdsourcing from the frontline where the organization wants, they can look at questions coming from their team members and sort of, swipe right to accept it and put it into their game library or swipe left and give feedback. But it can also come the tradition top down where a, a manager or, or a training leader can build a game in minutes on our platform. And I know I'm saying game a lot and probably people have all types of ideas. What I mean by game is it, you know, is this uh, Fortnite or is this, you know, Tetris or Pac-Man or uh, so the game is like quick burst trivia. Because we found that the number one format of game still to this day is trivia. Crosses every generation. You know, my mom, my daughter, they all get it. So when we built the built the game, we didn't want the learning curve to be steep for a certain segment of the workforce. So imagine a 10, 15, 25 question, multiple choice, true, false, image, you know, 
all types of quick formats. That's the game. Anybody can build a game like that because we've the way that we built the kind of authoring tool. We wanted it to be not intimidating. You know, it's intimidating to build a PowerPoint deck. It's intimidating to record a video and get it in the market. It's not intimidating to suggest what, you know, a question may be about, you know, a special beverage that, you know, the restaurant is offering. So we wanted authoring to be really rapid from the front line. Mm -hmm. I would love to go even deeper of the importance of the training being delivered through the vehicle of games and particularly, you know, how do games themselves influence learning? Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. You know, the science is pretty wild when you get into it. And it sounds like you guys are, are especially, you want to get wonky, we can get wonky. Uh, the, <laughs> the, this is what I started, to, when we built the product, I wasn't actually thinking about a game. I was sort of, I spent, you know, a year or two reading everything I could get my hands on around how do you uh, improve skill. I was reading, you know, I was putting my hands on books behind the 10,000 hour rule that Malcolm Gladwell made famous, but I read the research that, you know, he found. I read uh, books by Carol Dweck on mindset, talking about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. I read books about the, again, fundamental science of learning. What is myelin? How does the brain actually build a skill? I read parenting books, which really freaked out my girlfriend at the time. She was wondering why the heck I was reading you know, a stack of six, parent, six parenting books. But again, I, was, I, was, I went down a rabbit hole. And there were three fundamentals that I found were critical for uh, learning to stick. And the first was this concept called retrieval practice which in a nutshell, the, the research shows that testing, the testing effect, testing somebody on something leads to stronger, longer lasting retention. And which kind of means the learning has got to be hard, which if we all think about it, uh, if you use a fitness example, if you go to the gym every day and put the same weight on the bar and do the same workout, you're eventually going to what? You're going to plateau. So struggle and challenge was one ingredient that has to be present. And testing, pop quizzing, trivia is a great uh, way to, to do that. Second ingredient is this concept called entanglement. You have to uh, do, do a few things. You have to space material. So I don't know about you guys, but when I was in school, I used to, I used to kind of cram that last, you know, the night before, maybe minutes, minutes, minutes before the test. Uh, and we all know what happens the next day. You forget most of it. Research shows you forget 70% of what you learn within three days, 87% within 30. So I kept reading all this stuff on forgetting curve. And the second point is if you, if you test somebody on content or you study something, you shouldn't do it all. It shouldn't be crammed. It shouldn't be an event. You should do a little bit on day one, a little bit on day three, a little bit on day seven, 15, 30, 60, 90. So, you know, and, and there is a spacing effect that makes the content um, more accessible, but you have to space material. You also have to uh, interleave content is what it's called, which means don't go testing people on chapter one and then two and then three and then four and then five. Test them on chapter one, a little bit of three and a little bit of 10. And then next week, Chapter two, with a little bit of chapter one and a little bit of chapter eight, because forcing the brain to discriminate against content makes it harder. So here's an example. If I'm training a 
a new frontline guest service team member. I should be not just putting them through a training on this specific task. I should be putting them through a little bit of maybe DEI content peppered in with a little bit of stuff from their day one, a little bit of mission vision content. So that's sort of the second ing ingredient. You got to entangle the learner with the information that they're not ready for. And you got to space it out. The third is, is the most fun one. Uh, it's called uh, predictive. The act of guessing at something you don't know the answer to is, is something that some people call generative learning, where you don't know the answer, but you're going to guess at it. That function is one of the most powerful learning mechanics to employ, and it's the most uncommon today because the way that a lot of folks teach uh, is, a, is a reflection of the way they were taught in school, and you would never quiz somebody on something before the lecture. But again, the research proves that if you test somebody on the material before they've seen it and you let them predict. So if I roll out uh, a pop quiz seven days before onboarding, you've never seen onboarding. That essentially will set people up for better retention. So those were the three ingredients that had to be present. And I said to your question, Josh, nobody wants to be pop quizzed. Who wants to get a test? I mean, we're, we're talking about young people who are carrying all types of college loan debt, uh, people who have PTSD from going to school. They don't want to go to, they don't want to get pop quizzed on material. What is something that you're okay failing at? What's something that as you struggle, you want to come back for more? What's something, again, you know where I'm going, right? That's a little bit, a little bit of record, but it's a game. And so that's what we did. We said, Josh, let's wrap these like really powerful learning mechanics in a game and to the player, the worker, I'm trying to beat Donna. I'm trying to beat Mike. I'm trying to beat Rose. I'm trying to rise the leaderboard, but in the process, the really powerful learning mechanics happening under the surface. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Sam, especially those three, those three elements. And, you know, I look back at training that I do obviously without the, the one huddle on, Maybe, maybe soon I will. Well, who, who knows? Um, but, you know, I think about the, those struggle uh, components and getting people to really think about things. And and I like I like the word you use there, entanglement, right? You know, it's it's like this this puzzle that they have to kind of unwind and, and kind of figure through. And that's really what kind of helps people process and also internalize and personalize, which I think is really important. I think my question though, as, as you talked about those, those elements is when you go to an organization and you talk to them about all these things that one huddle can help them do, which one of those do you get most pushback on? Or are there ones that are like, Oh, we don't really need to do that. You know, that kind of thing. I'm curious from, from your standpoint, what do you see there? There is a lot of what I would call a, a neuro myth about how learning actually works that we uh, we deal with every day when we are either selling our product or uh, coaching a manager who's using one huddle. And of the three, the one that is the most tough for people to initially wrap their head around is that uh, learning by playing you know, kind of the absence of, I'll get this question a lot. Where, don't they have to learn it before they play it? Hey, Matt, 
don't I have to read it before I can be in that? So we get a lot of, you know, confused looks when people think that, you know, learning the act of learning something happens in this very specific way of you have to sit through the lecture. And then now that you've learned it, one huddle or a game or reinforcement can happen. So, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to educate on that one, but that's definitely the biggest one that people uh, raise their eyebrows at, but it's, it does it also, I don't know about you guys, but I never took a class in school on how to learn. And, you know, if you think about our workforce today, as the speed of jobs, like the, the functions that make up work are going to change and they've been changing, but they're going to continue to change at really rapid rates. Companies are going to need to cross skill workers for not just their current job, but who knows what the next job is. And I was just with a brand in California that invested in a, uh, a, a hamburger robot that flips 240, makes and flips 240 hamburgers an hour. So I think the job of whoever's in the back of house is going to change a little bit. Yeah. So it comes back to this point that organizations need to be learning environments where they educate not just themselves, but their people about how to learn so that they can employ better practices on the job as they skill up for whatever the next job looks like. So I think what's interesting here, one of the one of the takeaways that I'm getting is uh, for, for the longest time, or a, a lot of people, you know, hold belief that content is king, right? When we're talking about what is the training material that is being delivered. And from everything that you're saying here is that, is that the delivery is king, is that the, the content can be absolutely stellar. It can be absolutely phenomenal, but if it doesn't incorporate uh, those keys to making it stick, that you know, that variation, that that entanglement, the struggle, the predictiveness, the competitiveness of it, then the content doesn't even matter because it's it, you, you talk about how how much is not returning, not retained, kind of uh, in the in the days after learning the content. So is that I would say kind of uh, is that a message that people should really be thinking of? If it's not just that the content needs to be superior, it's truly about the way in which that content is delivered. I'll say yes, but I'll, I'll add I'll add to it because I think there's an, another way to look at this that's helpful because content, there is a clear difference, and you gentlemen know this, there's a clear difference between good content, bad content. <laughs> I mean, there is there are there are good practices and there are bad practices. And so uh, the reality though is I don't think we have so much of a content problem. And, you know, I travel to a lot of trade shows and events and conferences, and I hear there's a lot of organizations that are in the business of selling, you know, content or best practice. And uh, I think that, again, putting aside a little bit, because, again, there is a difference between quality, absolutely. However, I think that when I watch, when you're watching the news cycle right now and you're hearing what's happening around you know, great resignation. We're all tired of that one. Now it's now it's the boss loss where three and four managers are burned out because they're doing the frontline workers work and they're ready to shift. Gallup just had a study that came out in early August that said less than one in four workers uh, believe that their managers have their best interests in mind personally. So we have this situation where team members, employees are concerned about if people are listening to them. And I think that this is where technology can be really powerful because even if the worker proposes a game question on one huddle that's not correct, 
that's an opportunity for me as a leader to engage that person. I mean, the, the fact that a frontline worker suggested, took a second to build a question about their job for somebody else that they did not have to do, it is very interesting to me. And I think that that's where we should, we should be, whether we're using one huddle or any other technology or you know, survey or pen and paper, creating a, um, an environment where you can access what your frontline people are saying and saying so that you can then turn around and coach. Uh, you know, I was a football coach coming up while I was working. And I used to say in the early days, you could just say to people, run these sprints because I said so. And they would do it. That doesn't work anymore. It's, I have to explain, you know, a little bit about why we're doing this. You know, what is, wh why are we changing the way we're performing because the business landscape is, is X, Y, or Z. And I think that that's what I'm saying, where the content can actually be more valuable as long as it's framed the right way. And weigh in gets buy-in, as that old management mantra get mantra says. So um, I think that creating that, you know, creating an environment where your team members can communicate back to you is uh, is going to be critical for high-performing organizations. So Sam, I got to say, when I was doing ladder sprints, uh, playing football in high school, nobody ever told me why. They just said, <laughs> do it. So I, I understand where you're coming Me from. Me too. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but you you mentioned something there that I think is really, really critical because you talked about leader engagement. And one of the things I've seen uh, with various organizations is they think that tech is taking over and they're almost letting it. Like, here, you've got the, the technology now, it's hands off for, for the management team. But, you know, the way you mentioned it is that that gives you an opportunity when you see what someone is putting in there to coach or to, to engage with them. So can you talk a little bit about that relationship and how it's, you know, the, the tech may be really cool and, and really effective, but there's still the human element that has to be part of that process. Sure. I mean, it's a very thin line, you know, depending on, you know, the technology and the job role that we're talking about. The, the reality, there are a few realities that I've seen across every vertical, you know, job, the, the functions that make up work are changing. They've always been changing, but they're changing faster than they ever have. And companies failure to invest in technology as an infrastructure. I, I find myself saying infrastructure a lot more than ever. When I talk to C-level executives, I say, if you want to go from here to here, do you have the foundation to do it? And part of that is the technology foundation to do it. And, you know, that's not just your point of sale system or your CRM or your billing platform or your ops systems, but it's also how you communicate learning and and, uh, and engage workers and uh, communicate. So I believe that the, the, the fact that technology is being adopted to automate repetitive tasks, which I'm, you know, it, my opinion is everybody's on all sides of this. The reality is certain functions are gonna get straight up automated. There's just too much firepower in the tech space that's coming after those jobs. And uh, as that happens, it means that we need uh, a lot of support from leaders and organizations that understand that the employee experience is paramount. Uh, if you don't have great employee experience, you don't have great customer experience, which means they have to take care about what the next job is. And that's kind of why I said, we got to be really good at cross-training. The person that's in back of house, 
There's no reason we can't use technology to offer them opportunities to learn the front of house roles or to learn whatever the next job is. And um, some organizations are going to do the right thing and some aren't. So uh, I think that we're living in a moment where workers are talking a little bit more loudly. They have uh, technology allows them to amplify their voice. And, um, you know, I, I can't predict where that's going to go, but I, I would imagine uh, I read something the other day talking about the number one way the Gen Z workers find work. How did the number one way a Gen Z worker is finding their next job is through employee referral. If you're, you know, if your employees are, if I'm asking my friend about, hey, can you make an introduction? I'd love to work at the, where you work. And that person says, no, nah, you don't want to work here. You're never going to, you know, you're never going to know if you don't, if you're not caring about your workers first. So I think there's a, this is an interesting moment where the best organizations are going to listen. They're going to continue to invest. They're going to use technology to create learning opportunities. And the other ones that have figured out they can't handle people, you know, you'll be very easy to spot those in the market. What about those that say that uh, things like learning and training should be a low-tech solution? Those that are are big advocates or that have really seen success from the, the classroom-style training and uh, really role-playing and collaborative and, and people interacting together. Uh, and I, I suppose this is a little bit playing devil's advocate, uh, but as far as uh, responding to those two to say, well, actually doing it online, uh, doing it game-based, uh, can actually be more effective than you know doing it role play and kind of in person collaboratively. Sure, I think training is not an either or; it's an and. And if I was building a, a strength and conditioning facility for my team, I wouldn't just have it full of treadmills. So I would have all types of modalities, and I would be skilling my people up from all types of angles. So you know, I think the answer is you should be doing both. You should be leveraging both. Um, I would say that. This is what I say to organizations that talk a lot about live training. And I say, you know, you're doing probably the hard stuff, which is good because knowledge is the foundation of any skill. I mean, we work with fighter pilots in the Air Force on our platform. We work with first responders uh, that use us for medical safety training. We, uh, we work with sales reps in Madison Square Garden. We're working with uh, guest services team members in hospitality. So, you know, regardless of the function, you got to know the functions of the skill in, in the role before you can then act on it. So I think that's that's really important. And I think that, you know, some some organizations, like you said, Josh, that are leaning into on the job training hands on. They're booking the time to do classroom and they're paying their workers to be on the clock for that training, which we know is a major challenge today. They're gonna, they're gonna invest and put their money where their mouth is around that. When the ones that do that, I think they're doing the hardest part and you know, I would compliment them for doing it. Um, the reality though, is like we said, we have to use technology to uh, kind of half charge the battery. Imagine if we could half charge the battery before the live training. Imagine if you come into the live training and we're doing role plays on service situations and you already know you know, the right format, the right acronym, the right system, the right script put to memory that you can act upon in that live situation. But I think that's where technology, regardless of what it is, can be really powerful. Um, it's got to meet people where they are as well. You know, I think this is a big issue today. And this is a government, you know, not to talk government for a second, but we have labor rules today that were written before the Internet was created. That say 
certain job training is uh, a worker cannot do voluntarily. Even if it's completely voluntary and it's skill-based and it's transferable and they can take it wherever they want, even if they are not allowed to do it because of some ancient regulation that's in labor rules that were written at a time to protect workers and now are holding them back. And they're holding back our fund, our most uh, vulnerable frontline workers uh, from learning opportunities. You know, so that's, that's you know, I think there's a re the, the, one of the challenges with technology today is the, um, the people that are using it uh, are generally the ones who get access to everything. And I think this is where, um, you know, this is where there's, you know, need for change and need for reform. There's a lot of great companies in the market that are investing in technology. Um, and then there's ones who are, um, I'll say the other thing, there are ones that are saying, you know what, we don't want to invest in technology because of legal exposure. And the kind of, some of them are, it's a little bit of a cop out. Some of them are hiding behind labor rules so they don't have to, um, you know, invest in technology. So it, again, it's it's a it's a very fast changing pace. I think COVID accelerated us a decade. You know, a de I think that a, it has accelerated what technology is is going to be available around workforce development. Um, you know, because of a lot of stuff that shook out. You know, Sam, it's really interesting as you talk about those labor laws because um, there was a time maybe 15 years ago or so that I started sending out via email just a, you know, an informational newsletter to people that had come to, you know, sessions that I had done within this organization I was working with and kind of got my hand slapped because they're getting it at home. And if they're reading it at home, then we have to pay them for their time, you know? And so I totally understand what you're talking about where the, the, the laws have not caught up to what we're able to do and what they, what the learners may actually want. Right. So I think there's a there's a disconnect there. Um, but before we started recording, we also talked a little bit about the fact that so many places, you know, and maybe this is, you know, a good segue from Josh's last question, but so many places are looking to speed up the training process. Right. And we know that humans can only learn at a certain pace. Right. But having that tech as an infrastructure and, you know, doing those things maybe ahead of time before they get in the classroom. And that's when they that's when they do the role play. And now we can actually have a, a deeper conversation about it because you've got this this information ahead of time. Is that something that can help organizations, for lack of a better term, speed up the training so that they can get out and, you know, be on the floor or be in the attraction and be productive that much faster. There are, I would say that there are all types of really cool emerging technologies focused on the learning and training and upskilling category, coaching and mentoring now as well. And the ones that I think I would be looking at as a business owner are the ones that can get me from zero to 60 faster, like you all say. And uh, the key though is obviously to do it safely and to do it in a way that actually, you know, has some foundation and works. And uh, onboarding, you know, the cost of onboarding a new hire, we can do that quicker uh, and more effectively. The, the dollars companies invest in onboarding, they always will tell you, a CEO will always tell you, that's money they never get back. Um, the The, it, it is just a fixed amount of time. It takes us 60 days to get this person from, you know, zero to maybe not even a hundred percent, maybe just 85, 86% is enough. And then they can hit the floor. So I, I think that it, it's in the, it's definitely in our mind at one huddle. When we build our tool, we think about speed. We think about how fast to create 
how how long is a game? How long does a game make sense for a worker? You know, even though maybe a, maybe 20 minutes are better than 10 minutes, if we're working with a worker who only has three to five minutes to get a game in, we got to figure out a way how to make those three to five minutes the most impactful to be, you know, we talk a lot on our engineering side about, you know, looking at the game from the point of view of the player. I think that there's just too many technologies in learning that don't care about the learner's experience mm. because they've just had it in this format for so long. I mean, I'm pretty confident that a lot of the, like the blackboards of the world don't care about what the college student has to, thinks because they have a monopoly on the fact that this is the learning tool that the school is going to use. And, you know, that's, we're going through this mo this moment of time where, you know, if you want workers to really engage, continuously develop around the edges of work, you have to care about them almost like you care about them as a customer or a consumer. But here's like a crazy thought. Imagine if you looked at your workers like they were a customer. What decisions would you be making? You know, imagine if instead of saying you have to do this compliance training this week, Josh, you have to do it. It's required. If you don't do it, you can't show up. What if we flip that and said, you know what, Josh, it's voluntary, okay? But we're going to put a big leaderboard up. We're going to give you a lot of resources. We're going to give you a lot of space. We're going to make the experience really fun. And we're going to incentivize game. We're going to incentivize the experience. Um, leverage gaming mechanics in order to get you to want to do it. Um, inspire you to action versus just tell you you have to do it. And I, again, I think that's where there's a – there's um, there's a there's a changing of the guard. There's a transition happening inside of organizational cultures and how they bring about change uh, and gain buy-in. Sam, one thing that I'm I'm thinking about here, kind of just over the course of this conversation, is we're we're talking about this very much from the lens of workforce and from labor and from employees, and even more specifically within the attractions industry, within hospitality. I, but I I've got to imagine that you probably think about other applications of this as well. Like with, with everything that we're talking about here, could this be, could, could this be the future of school? Could this be grade school education? Could this be college university? Could this, well, you mentioned parenting earlier. I'll bring that up now. Could, could parents use this? I kind of, does this go beyond workforce training? Yeah. I mean, I think that the mindset and I, I found myself, uh, my, I have a five-year-old daughter now, so uh, I, I find myself employing, you know, some of the tactics that, you know, I've been, I've been reading about and, you know, sort of productizing to the best, the ones that made sense. And there's a real power to play. Like play is not trivial. And if you, if you look into the history of, you know, human evolution or the history of um, how, you know, how, how you, you come, how you journey to add through adolescence, the most powerful experiences you have are come from trying things and reaching for things and falling off the tree and, you know, do you know, uh, and it's, it's a very uh, natural instinct uh, and it's, it's how you learn it, you know, at, you know, inside of a classroom when you are, when, when you are growing up, it's just somewhere along the line, we decide to put you in a seat and hand you a book and start talking to you. And, I think that learning and development is very, you know, very early in the game. I mean, the learning management system has only been around for what, 15, 20 years, maybe, yeah, you know, in the history of work, you know, even if you go back 1500, 2000 years, we, you know, 
there this is a very short amount of time that we've been looking at using technology as part of you know as part of this process so I, we always try to advocate inside of organizations um, when we get companies who will say to us what can you learn in a game or ah our, our stuff's too serious for that we don't want to we don't want it to be a game you know we're teaching people how to make palomas that's too that's serious stuff we don't want them to play a game on it <laughs> said well it's really cool. Like I'm standing at your restaurant right now. You have this like employee loyalty program. It's like, yeah, we made, we turned our, our, how to be a customer into this like really fun game where you like, oh, okay, got it. But learning how to be a bartender, that's, that's this checklist that you have. That makes sense. So, you know, like I said, I, I think that it's, we're in this state where do unto others as it was done onto you. Like I had to go through that. So now you have to go through that uh, a little bit. And, um, you know, we have a we have a quote on the wall here at One Huddle. It says, "Some get it, some won't." <laughs> it's just, and you know, we 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 work every day to try to, uh, you know, get people to open up to what the power of play is in competition. Sam, that reminds me of a book that my dad gave me. I don't know, thirty years ago or something, and it talked about in the in the very beginning, like the first story was about these people and what they had to do. And it was about that there was these certain things and they had to put them on their side and they, you know, all these different things. And they had to do it over and over again. But people were lining up to do it. And they were actually talking about bowling, you know, but the way they described it at first, it sounded like a job. they they were very clever in how they wrote it. But then when you say, oh, it's bowling, of course, it's a game. It's fun. People are lining up for it. So um, I totally, you know, uh, it, what you were just saying there really resonates with me as well. Um, but I'm curious, you know, as as you've implemented these things, what are the specific measurables that you look to to say, this is working? This is, this is you know, maybe more effective than older methods. Sure. There's, uh, you know, we have a lot of the, the kind of base mechanics we're always looking at, you know, games played, minutes of play, minutes of play per player per game. We're looking at uh, something we call a contest win, where every week you can create a contest, which is kind of like a fantasy sports tournament. You can wrap a set of users around a series of games and create a leaderboard, let everybody get a certain number of attempts. And it again has a start date and an end date. So number of contest wins by player is a ref is something that we look at. The 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 most advanced mechanic we have though that's probably the most important is we have a metric called win rate. And win rate is kind of like your NPS score as a learner. And what win rate is telling you is um, based off of your and let's just take a specific series of games. You can take a series of games based off all your gameplay on these games. Uh, based off your last performance, less how much time has passed, how many times you've played it, it will give you a score from zero to 100 that tells you how well you know the content. And the cool thing about the number is it's kind of like uh, it, it decays. So three months from now, if you're an 80 on the onboarding content, you may be a 50. And once you fall into a certain zone, you know, it's the, it starts flashing at the manager. Once you stop playing, it starts flashing more. So two observations. One, I think managers, this is where tech can help managers. Managers really struggle to know what to train next. 
it's a, it's a guessing game a little bit, right? You got 10 employees and you don't know, you know, you kind of know where everybody struggles, but you don't know specifically what content they're struggling with. So with one huddle in this mechanic, it'll tell you by player, by department, by location, how are your people doing on your most important games? And as things start to slip, you can either turn it on autopilot and our games will sort of fill the gap and, and rise it back up. Uh, you can look at it by player as well. So it's on one hand, this mechanic to help you know what your people know in real time. The second thing is it's a really powerful indicator of flight risk. Because if you have a player who has played 80% of their games week over week for the last six months, and all of a sudden that they go to zero for a few weeks, you are anybody hearing all this talk about the quiet, you know, quiet quitter, quiet quitting. Well, we can very clearly see who is quitting and who is starting to check out. And again, this comes back to just another area of the business that operations can tap into to, you know, be predictive, to forecast where, where do workers need to close a gap quicker so that we don't have more service situations or we drive more revenue. Um, and also, hey, maybe somebody's coming a little bit disconnected and hey, manager, Maybe that's someone you should go talk to. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's something related to mental health. Maybe it's they're just having a bad few weeks. Maybe they're aggravated about something. And this is where technology can augment, not replace humans. Managers, like the best managers are leaders and the best leaders are coaches. And coaches have the skill of inspiring learning in their people. And we think in, you know, in today's workforce, we need more coaches and coaches take a lot of inputs and they spend their time trying to communicate with their people why we do things, motivate them to want to do it. If they create that environment, you know, it's amazing what can happen uh, with your people. Uh, and if you don't, game over. I, Sam, this has been a Absolutely. A phenomenal conversation. We really appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, to share your time with us. As we start to wind this down here, if people want to learn more about One Huddle or if they want to get a hold of you directly, where would you send them? Sure. Thanks. And it's been fun. You know, if, they, if anybody's interested in learning more, you can head on over to onehuddle.co. That's the number onehuddle.co. Uh, check out more. We got all types of stuff on there to try to shake up how you think about learning. Absolutely. So Sam, uh, like uh, like uh, Josh said, it's been a great conversation. Any kind of last thoughts for people out there who are, you know, maybe they're they're listening to this and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of am stuck in, in my training rut. Like, what would you say to folks like that? I would say, keep your feet moving. You know, I would say that the, the it's the start that stops most people and in, you know, when it comes to uh, training and development, especially today, I would say, uh, you know, continue to sharpen the saw, continue to work at getting people um, at, at making sure that the things you've built are updated, you know, continue to look at what you've built and rebuild it, continue to talk to your people and ask them what they want to learn next. I mean, when was the last time you asked an employee, hey, you just went through training, well, what's something we missed six months ago that would have been really helpful for you? that we should go back and put in for the next person, you know? Um, and the last thing I would, I would add to that is, you know, a workforce is only as strong as every worker. 
And if you are fun, if you're not fundamentally given the same learning opportunities to the frontline worker that's making 15 bucks an hour that you are to the $150,000 a year person in the other corner, um, you are creating an environment where you are not going to tap into the full potential of your people. And um, that is what I think the future of work is really all about. It's about people. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So one final question for you here. <laughs> and what are the games that have changed your life personally? Yeah, a lot of friendships playing NCAA growing up uh, on PlayStation. A lot, a lot of battles, uh, you know, playing games. You know, I, I, listen, I, I think that uh, it's it, it's interesting. I did a talk where I talked about the kind of different games and different stages. You know, when I was uh, growing up, I um, used to grow up in an Italian American family, and we'd go to dinner, and they'd put you know five bucks for the quarters on the table, and I'd play Pac Man, and I'd sit there and I'd watch. And I'd watch people come and go and I'd play Pac-Man. And you know what? I never beat that game. But and I always came back and I always sat down and I always had I had a, a interesting experience insofar as, you know, we just grew up in South Florida and the folks that came to the restaurant I was at were um it was always a packed restaurant. We come once a week and someone would always sit down. It was like one of these old school Pac-Man machines where you had, you know. Uh, someone could sit across from you. If you remember, you can kind of play against each other. And uh, when I think back to that experience, I never think about me sitting or playing alone. I always think about somebody just sitting down, someone who I didn't know. Uh, and, you know, uh, I don't know anything more than that other than just the friendly competition that occurred. And um, I think that's something we, you know, that's something that uh, I thought, I thought, I think about a lot when I built, when we built One Huddle is how do we create an environment with friendly competition where people can get to learn each other and connect with people. The, that, again, I come back to this story, the back of house worker who doesn't know what's happening in the front of the house, but can now beat the person on the leaderboard in the front of the house. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's, that's what's fun for me. Awesome, Sam. Well, thanks again uh, for your time. This has been great. Uh, and for everybody out there who's watching and listening, just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.